Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by my good friend, musician, singer, activist. What else that you do? All sorts of things, mentor. She does all the things. Her name's Anya Tyrrell and Anya is jumping in to talk to us today a bit about alcohol, her relationship with alcohol, why she changed her relationship with alcohol. And we also want to talk about St. Pat's Day. So welcome, Anya. How are you today, mate? Thank you so much. Yeah, happy to be here with you. Finally, we're having the chat. 
Oh my God. We've been talking about this chat for quite a while now. And I've always been like, yeah, but you weren't big enough of a trash bag. But you I don't know. Have to be- <laughs> That's so funny. In hindsight, thinking not everyone has to be a trash bag to want to stop drinking, right? That's probably why I've never really called myself sober or identified with much of the AA or or any of that stuff. Because I was like, oh, well, I never really was like an alcoholic or I had an issue with drink, but it still is an issue with alcohol. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And also like your good friend, Mandy Nolan, who you do a lot of shows with, Mandy's been on the podcast and we're tracking her progress over her year of sobriety. Her and I were talking about this stopping before it even becomes a problem. Yeah, not having to have this massive problem to actually stop. And there's plenty of people listening that perhaps, yeah, they just have a couple or it's different for everybody. So you've been sober for around about, we were trying to figure it out before, but it's around about three years, maybe a bit Mm. more, which is amazing. Yeah. And probably because I, like even Mandy actually said to me, she's like, you know, I had to make a big song and a dance about going off the drink. She was like, you just quietly did it. None of us noticed, you know? Yeah. I mean, I probably wasn't a big drinker before, so none of them noticed massive changes in behavior. And also I didn't kind of sort of choose a date to stop drinking. It just kind of, which I think a lot of people kind of make a real conscious decision. I'm not going to drink. For me, it was just kind of like, I just need to go back to when I wasn't drinking because I didn't drink for many, many years uh, as well in there. So yeah, I don't really have a date. I don't remember what, when I just can't remember having alcohol for a really long time and being very conscious now about not even saying yes socially. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Yeah, it's, I think it's really beautiful. It just naturally and organically happened that you just stopped. And interesting with you because you tour a lot as a musician and just like most of the musicians we've had on the show, it's so thrown in your face and it's so expected of you to drink. Did you ever drink before to kind of have that bit of extra courage to go on stage? Yeah, definitely. Growing up in Ireland and around the music industry because my dad was a musician and my dad uh, was an alcoholic. Uh, He was sober kind of the last 10, 15 years of his life. But I just saw how alcohol and music were together from a toddler. Alcohol went with music and music went with alcohol. Yeah, so I I never really saw them separate for a really long time. So I think when I started playing music, I would have one, but I played music with my dad and someone needed to drive. So I um so I quickly became a designated driver, you know. So it's kind of funny. Like I I kind of feel like if I wasn't surrounded by so many alcoholics in my life, which I was, I lost my uncle to alcohol, a beautiful cousin of mine who very very close with had a very big issue with alcohol, ended up in hospitals and mental institutions over addiction. Really, they they misdiagnosed him, you know. So I was surrounded by it. So I think I kind of assumed like a little bit of a responsible role from a young age and definitely with music as well. And then I did, I just thought you had to have a drink with getting on the stage, that it was part of it. And it was also part of being an Irish musician. People just expect you to be a drinker on stage. Like they just think that goes together as well, even in Ireland and even touring in other places apart from so-called Australia, I definitely had that experience. But then very soon after playing my own music, I realized I wanted clarity on stage. And so I I actually stopped drinking when I was about 23. I didn't start drinking again until I came to Australia, actually, which is very, very strange. And it it actually was two things. It was a St. Patrick's Day and it was playing music where they just offered you a drink and I didn't really want to be rude. So I would say yes. And 
It's interesting, like even growing up in Ireland, there's a very like distinct, it's called rounds. I don't know if you have it here, but like if you go out with a group of friends, you're in a round with those friends. So when everyone finishes that pint, the next person in the round gets a pint and it just goes around Mm. endlessly. (laughs) And when it's your round, you pay for it. And I felt a lot of pressure in those situations because I wasn't, I was just never a big drinker. And so I used to drink whiskey because it would kind of get me out of the round and I would just top it up with ice. It was like my little like secret to kind of still look like I was having the crack and part of the gang and part of it. I'd be like, no, I still have my whiskey. I'm okay. Like people thought I was real hardcore because I drank whiskey, but it actually was to, (laughs) it actually was to try to like not do the whole round thing. Did you have and, to still shout the round when it got came round to you? Even though, you well, it, it would kind of excuse me from the round, like, or I would I buy, it. or I would buy the first round, and then because I still had it, I'd be like, no, I'm okay, and then it kind of would get me out of the round. Whereas, like, it's very hard to remove yourself from, if you're out with a group of friends and you're all in a round. The fastest person drinking sets the pace of how you all drink. Do you know what I mean? So it's a, mm. yeah. So there's a big culture of that as well. And I I think that I would be polite. That was my version of being polite and still looking like I was part of the gang. And so when I started playing music here again, because I I hadn't played music for a good few years when my kids were real small. And uh, so when I started playing music and they always offer a drink at the gig again, it was kind of like, oh, I need to be social and polite. Do you know, I was kind of like looking around being like, I've got to kind of partake in this. And I, I was actually only thinking because I was talking to you, I was like, when did I start drinking again? Because I went probably eight, nine years without drinking in my 20s. And then it was here and it was my second St. Patrick's Day here. And we had made some friends. I was living down in Geelong in Victoria and they were like, oh, well, what are we going to do for St. Patrick's Day? And I was like, oh, so I baked them like Irish bread and I was being real wholesome about it. And then they came over with like whiskey and Guinness. And I was like, oh, oh, we're supposed to drink because it's St. Patrick's Day. And I was like, okay, I'll have a Jameson's because that was like my go-to sort of social, like, but it was more me trying to, they were like telling me, Australians were telling me, you're Irish, you have to drink, it's St. Patrick's Day. You like, and I was like, oh, I'm supposed, oh, oh, like, <laughs> yeah, it's a well, really it's weird, weird moment. Yeah. And also what you said earlier, being an Irish musician is an expectation to drink, but I think being Irish, period, there's an expectation to drink. Yeah. Especially around St. Pat's Day, which we'll get to in a moment, but also I've coached quite a few people that are Irish, either Mm. in Ireland or living in Australia and they've got Mm. Irish heritage. And there is just this sort of cultural generational trauma as well that comes Mm. through the line. And so many of these people have grown up in pubs and have seen way too much as kids sleeping under tables and often would see the fights or that's just where they basically were brought up was in yeah. pubs and probably yeah. not too dissimilar to you with your dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, playing music obviously everywhere. And I mean, your dad was quite a well-known musician, Sean Tyrrell, and you saying that he was an alcoholic. I imagine it just would have been absolutely everywhere around you growing up. So really interesting too, that you took that different path. What else was it about it that made you feel like I want a bit of distance from this thing? 
My dad toured in America a lot as well. And I definitely recognize this sort of attitude within Ireland that we have a massive culture of drinking, which I could see is directly related to our traumas. And I could see that directly in my family as well. Like at a very young age, I was very aware that like my uncle in particular, the most beautiful, kind hearted, loving man. It was addiction, addiction from trauma. And you could paint him as anything out in public or whoever, but like he's just the most beautiful, beautiful man. And trauma and how that's passed down, I could see it very early on. So I think I was aware of that. I was also very aware of this attitude in America because I grew up in America a bit as well and also had experience with my dad there where like the drinking Irish, the fighting Irish, the stupid Irish, like all these stereotypes, a lot of them revolved around alcohol or St. Patrick's Day or this or that. And people would wear their ancestry as a badge of honor through the weirdest of stuff like Guinness, like how much Guinness they could drink was like, Mm -hmm. oh, like I have Irish blood. I'm like a champion drinker. And that attitude prevails in Ireland as well. Like how much of a champion of a drinker can you be is kind of the hardest Even as a woman, like you're real tough and you're one of the lads if you can keep up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then in Australia as well, those attitudes about drinking, like when I first got here, it was like, oh, well, I'm Irish. I can drink you under the table. I was like, I'm Irish. You can drink me under the table. Like I I don't like. (laughs) So there is definitely all of those things that I, I was made very aware. And because I was in pubs like that, under tables, watching it all carry on very unsafe spaces I look back now and I'm like holy shit Mm. wild they were wild I mean there was some beauty to it too because the music and everything that I got to be around growing up and the sessions and and the culture that was passed on as well but then the wildness of the partying was yeah pretty insane so I think I just had a had a short sort Mm. of feeling towards alcohol from the start Yeah, yeah. And also talking about the generational trauma that gets passed down the line, do you think that the drinking of alcohol is to do also with the, I mean, because often it is to do with unresolved traumas that have gone back for generations in Ireland? 100%. 100%. It's it's colonization. <laughs> Do you know, it's it's our our displacement from land and language. It's our displacement for our, our identity. It's the constant reminder from the colonizers that we are less than and alcohol was a way to do that. I mean, they brought in that version of Guinness, you know, that that now is continues to be that was the colonizers drink brought into Ireland. The history of oh, that's ironic, in isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The history of drinking in Ireland is directly related to colonization, our trauma, and then the trauma by the Catholic Church, which was horrendous what's been uncovered in the past five to 10 years over over that. And so, yeah, I, I, I think we drank our sorrows away and, you know, we're great crack and we're great humor. So like, I think it then was kind of jovial that we were drinkers, but even individually, people drink to avoid having difficult conversations. <laughs> You know, like, Mm. I think as a country, we have a lot of difficult conversations still to have in Ireland. And the drink is just a mask over a lot of that. Yeah. Oh my God, I just got washed with goosebumps when you said that. It's so true. <laughs> and look, and it's the same in Australia, obviously, with our First Nations people, with the colonisation and the introduction of alcohol diseases, white flower, 
processed sugar and the displacement of people from their land, culture, language. There's just, it's, there's so, so much trauma there, isn't there? And then you get the stereotypes which happen here and happen all over the world in Irish that is promoted then by the colonizers to keep those people. It's a punch down. Do you know, like it's it's from the top up punching down instead of dealing with the problem in Alice Springs and and, and making sure that communities out there are self-governing and have access to stuff. They're just sitting there saying that they're all alcoholics and they shouldn't breed. Like, what the hell? Like, that's just yeah. punching down on the people that you've created this system for. And last night at the Oscars, there was a joke on stage made by the MC, Jimmy Kimmel, to say that this is the largest nominations Irish films have ever got. A really proud moment for Ireland. And on a national stage, like the uh, international stage, like the Oscars, he's saying, oh, you know, I hope we don't have a fight here tonight night with all the Irish that are in the audience. It's like you you punch down on the people that you've colonized. And I think it's very easy for over the generations in Australia and in America and overseas to have looked at the Irish as the drunken Irish, the fighting Irish, the stupid Irish, whatever you want to make the jokes out of us for, because it's a way to punch down on somebody. Yeah, that is so, so true, isn't it? And interesting to what you say that some people wear their Guinness drinking as a badge of honour. And yet that was what was introduced by the colonisers to keep people Mm. down. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, the choice not to drink in the past three years is a choice to not be colonised. It's a choice to honour my ancestors. And it was a very conscious choice, even though I can't remember the exact date, but it was like, I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be part of the generational story of drinking in Irish. I don't want to be on stage. I don't want to be at venues and people just assume because I'm Irish, I'm drinking. I want to have the conversation which happens every single time I play a venue. Oh, you're Irish and you don't drink. I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) You should have t-shirts made up. I'm Irish and I don't fucking drink. (laughs) Yeah. and But it's a conversation to have because people's minds are just like melted as soon as I say it. Yeah. Like even just meeting, I'm not even talking about music, just meeting normal people like out in public and they think I'm Irish and they think I'm a drinker. And I find it a resistance and a rebellion Mm -hmm. and honoring of my ancestors to choose that drinking and that stereotype. We have to break those chains individually. If we're going to do it as a country, we need to break them individually first. And I'm just doing it for myself. My kids actually said to me the other day, something about drinking. I said, I don't drink. And they were like, oh, and I said, I haven't had a drink in probably four years. And all three of my kids were like, actually, mom, we've never seen you drunk. Now they're 16, 14 and 12. And to me, that's breaking generational relationships to alcohol. My Irish kids have never seen me drunk. I saw all my generations above me drunk and they don't have the story then to carry on about Irish people and drinking. When they get out there in the world... (laughs) People will say stuff to them. But right now they have no idea that that's even a thing. That's breaking generational trauma right there. Oh my God, I'm so covered in goosebumps and I want to burst into tears. It's just so beautiful. And I love this concept. We can honor our ancestors by not drinking by breaking that generational addiction that's been passed down the line through so many of us who have been colonized and or most of us, I guess, have been. Before colonization happened, your ancestors, the Irish ancestors, how would they have celebrated? Do you know much about that? 
Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of ceremony. It was all revolved around Celtic calendar. There's about four Celtic festivals that still exist, but there's eight in the wheel. And they would all be around the light and the sun and the changing of the seasons. And yeah, and so much much of the tradition had to do with that liminal space between light and dark or that liminal space between a change of the season. Much of it had to do with how we were engaging with the land so what time of year it was to do sow the seeds for (laughs) for the crops for the next year we had a deep relationship with the spiritual supernatural world so a lot of it revolves around the she which are the direct translation would be fairy but I think in English the idea of a fairy is like you know tinkerbell type thing whereas like our relationship to the she is much more like they can be good and bad and mischievous and so you would do ceremony to protect yourself from the she or use the she as an omen in a way or or a, a welcoming in yeah and things like bread and butter were and honey like some of those things were sacred and used in ceremony we have a very old drink called pochin which is like a alcohol like it's hectic you know <laughs> it's like a spirit yeah mm-hmm. and but that but that had a lot of ceremony around the making of it and had a lot to do with the fairies as well so there was definitely alcohol there prior to colonization and pochin would would have been our alcohol yeah i mean a lot of it revolved around dancing irish dancing and music i mean that's our go-to place you know but yeah that's I suppose the ritual side of it yeah I mean without getting too far into it but it just shows how just the same as we had Australian Indigenous culture that connection to to land and spirit and ceremony and how colonization and the introduction of alcohol and all those things just decimates culture Mm. and Mm. creates trauma and Mm. using the alcohol to kind of numb that trauma that's happened alcohol just decimates so many cultures yeah which is just devastating I remember my dad saying before I ever lived here he he always would say that they practiced on the Irish and they perfected it on the indigenous in Australia I mean moving here that's been the hardest thing to see is the things I read about and part of our histories that we're still healing from are happening on the daily here in more sophisticated ways so for me as an Irish person on stolen land, it's always been very important to stand in solidarity with those voices because mm-hmm. that is the same history that we carry and we're still healing from that in Ireland generations on. So what's happening here hasn't stopped. There's generations of healing still to come because I see me breaking these chains with my kids, for example, that goes back four or five generations. My grandmother was born in 1916 when we fought for independence. So like, it's just the generation back before her, do you know? Yeah. Amazing. I love that this sort of, what you call the parallels between cultures and how you have this beautiful show. I went and saw you at Bangalore A&I Hall with Emily Wiramara and a, a beautiful Indigenous artist. Just a beautiful thing to witness you two together and, and seeing these parallels. And it's just absolutely wonderful. And I'd definitely say to anyone listening, if you are you guys playing any more shows together? I mean, you're always together. Uh, right? Yeah, we always, yeah, we're always doing lots of stuff. But yeah, when I first moved here and I started getting put onto lineups with Indigenous acts and started listening to their storytelling, their connection to country and the way that they spoke about colonization and my my head kind of spun like that I was like oh whoa this is like same same different different 
And I think it's amazing that we can stand in solidarity about the colonization. But what's even more beautiful is to stand in support and witness of the generational healing that comes Mm -hmm. with what we're doing. What I see Emily do and Barca and Dobby and all these incredible indigenous acts are like they're creating a healing that's sending out vibrations much further than they know. For me, that's been the biggest honor of what I do is going around. I've always kind of like, I don't know how I ended up in so-called Australia. And sometimes I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? And then, you know, I play in some random hall in the middle of nowhere and some Irish person or, or someone who has Irish DNA generations back, or there's an awakening in them. There's something that happens and they're like, oh, my God, I, I needed to hear that or I needed to hear those songs or or you sing in Irish because it helps people remember who they are. And the more we know who we are, the more we can then stand in support of everything, of yeah, humanity. Yeah, yeah. And I do think by design, the Australian colony and the school system here, listen, they haven't taught Indigenous history here. So why are they going to go back into the history books and explain to 30% of you who have Irish heritage, what the hell happened to you? There'd be a rebellion, do you know? It's so true. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. and to me, I also noticed that I was like, have you not been taught your history? You know, and then I realized, oh, the education system here is based on the English education system. Do you know, they're not going to, because even... Like as a 17, 18 year old going over to London for my first time, I couldn't believe what little English people knew about their nearest neighbour. It's a 30 minute ferry across, you know, a 30 minute flight, sorry, like a two hour ferry across. And they knew nothing about us. They thought we were all IRA bombers. And I just was like, every Irish person, I would say every Irish person has traveled to England at some stage. There's a very small percentage of English people that travel over to Ireland and they don't know the the true history because they've been given something in history books. So when I got here, I just was like, oh, you had the same history books as the English fellas. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. It's so true. And luckily, I know in this area, it's done to be taught more our local indigenous like here on Bunjalung country they're well they are at the pocket school I know that starting to teach some language to the kids mm. and, and teach the kids about some of our local history which is really beautiful I actually um was at a international women's day conference the other day and uh funnily enough this man spoke but he was <laughs> he's, he's an indigenous lawman named Paul Callahan he's written a book called the dreaming path And he got up and spoke about that and how we can heal through identifying and learning about Indigenous culture. Just amazing. Like he had such a great story to tell. Anyway, I'm fully digressing here. So tell me about... It's really important. It's important stuff because I do really think how we honour the land, how we honour the world around us, how we honour ourselves with what we put into our body. It's all the same. The alcohol industry is a shit ton of money to allow us legally to have an addiction to a substance which does colonize our brain and our bodies, our thoughts. It stops us from, I mean, another reason why I stopped was also like, I hated, like even after one drink, the lack of clarity and energy. I'm up at five o'clock every morning. I have three kids. I have a really busy life to be able to play music and do what I do. I need all the energy. I 
it can have. And I, I don't want to waste any moment of this precious life. Like life is short and I don't want to give any of it to hangovers or headaches unnecessarily or sick stomachs or eating trash food because I feel gross the next day. So I do think it's all related to how we treat the earth and ourselves and all of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's so, everything you just said there was just yeah, amazing. It's so true. It all comes down to connection and respect, mm. as far as I'm concerned. And the more that we can respect one another, respect our earth, respect our histories, our culture, mm. the better off we'll all be. There'll be so much healing if that could happen. I love what you said that alcohol colonizes our brains. Oh, you know, I've never had so many goosebumps in a <laughs> podcast interview. You should see my legs. They look like chicken skin. <laughs> incredible. You are so bloody incredible. Fuck, I love you. So, talk, <laughs> love I mean, the reason <laughs> the reason I got you on too, obviously, was because we've been wanting to do this for a while, but also we've got St. Patrick's Day coming up on Friday. Mm. And so I thought this perfect opportunity to get you on to talk about St. Patrick's Day, what that means to you. And I know myself, Ash and I used to have a residency at the Irish pub called the Dan O'Connell in Carlton, like over 20 years ago. I know it. I know it. You know it. That's where we first <laughs> passed, actually, was at the Dan O'Connell. And I had a residency on a Wednesday and he had a Thursday, I think it was. But there was also like the 100 pint club. So anyone who drank 100 pints of Guinness would get their photo up on this board and was wow. made this big deal out of. But I remember playing St. Pat's Day celebrations there and it just been an absolute fucking shit show. There would always be a big mm. fight, would break out. And it was really horrendous, actually. And yeah. St. Pat's Day, you know, I actually remember being in Ireland once too for St. Pat's Day and getting completely fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it's any better in Ireland mm. because there is, there's a, and people from all over the world fly into Ireland to, <laughs> to get fucked up on St. Patrick's Day. So it's like, wow. it's not just the Irish, it's also all the people that come to Ireland to completely go on a bender in the name of St. Patrick. So St. Patrick isn't even Irish, right? So there's a lot of facts that are a bit fucked here. What? Um, yeah. So St. Patrick is Welsh and he was kidnapped and stolen by Irish pirates or something and ended up in Ireland, but then went back and then came back as a missionary. So we had our pagan traditional indigenous ways and St. Patrick is the person who fucked all that off. So he gets sort of like the mystery of that he drove all the snakes out of Ireland. There were no snakes in Ireland. We were cold water surrounded island. They didn't come across from the mainland. So A, we had no snakes. We still have no snakes. So like any of you that don't like snakes, Ireland is the place to move. But that imagery is really him driving our indigenous pagan ways out. That's what the snake represented. So to me, I have a problem with St. Patrick to begin with because he was a saint. He brought in Christianity. Eventually Catholicism is what took over in Ireland. And they had to co-opt all of our indigenous goddesses like Bridget and all of them just to get the Irish people to come across. First, we were colonized by that, then by the Brits. And then the Catholic Church continued that for so many years with us. So St. Patrick is just, he's not our dude to begin with. I love my culture and I love Ireland and I love celebrating it, but Patrick is not our dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And, yeah, wow. and this, this past year at the work of so many women over many, many years to raise issues about the mothers and babies homes, the lack of inclusion of women in so many spaces from politics to music, to radio, to all of the above. There's been a massive push to have Bridget who was our matron saint. She was actually 
Irish, but she's also connected to our goddess, Bridget, who's our pagan ways. And so this year, February 1st, we had our very first Bridget's Day, which is like a na- first Amazing. national holiday for a woman, I think in the world. Like, I don't think there's women being celebrated nationally like that. So I feel like this is a really important time. Like Bridget can come forward and Patrick can just fade off into the alcoholic past and history because he wasn't our dude to begin with. Do you know what I mean? Wow, yes. If you think about it, the trauma started with him, really. We went away from who we were. We took on a toxic Christianity and then we had the Brits in on top of it. So I saw my dad for many, many, many years playing St. Patrick's Day events. And I saw it in Ireland and I saw it in America as well. You know, when you're sitting watching someone, you see all the all, all the things and I'd be like, this is weird. People that aren't even Irish put on green as an excuse to get drunk. I really just saw things for what they were. And within Ireland, when I was living there too, I never really, I liked the family holiday part of it. So there was always parades and lovely little family things during the day. But by night, just an obliteration of alcohol and the championship of sort of like how much you can drink, which that pressure comes from within Ireland, but also from outside of Ireland. And then being abroad here and being a token Irish singer over here, March just gets like full of people asking me to do this and that. And, and you know, I spoke about it before Christmas, how I was pretty exhausted of having to answer emails and different things, only asking for me to play in March or saying that they've already got one Irish person playing on a festival bill. They can't have another one. They've already got their Irish quota basically filled. And I'm like, we're a really diverse group of people just like, and our music scene is just as diverse and beautiful. So to try to whittle it down to one version of what you expect, I found very problematic. And, you know, my booking agent, Clinton, who you know as well, just really had my back on all this and just saying, this is pretty fucked on you. I told him when I started with him, I don't play St. Patrick's Days. So he knew already that if anyone was going to approach me about anything to do with Irish culture or St. Patrick's Day, that it was a space where I don't take the money just for the money, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that it's very deeply important to me that the right conversations and the right places are around that. And I think Mm -hmm. the last real like public St. Patrick's Day was a was one in Melbourne where I played like back to back to back to back. And it's a huge earner for Irish musicians. This music industry really tokenizes us over here and they want us for that one spot on the festival bill or they want us in the Guinness tent to get everyone drinking and drunk or they want us to liven a crowd up with our tin whistles and our barons and our banjos. But they don't see us as the complexity. We've got classical music, rap music. We've got everything in Ireland. We have a massive scene there. And the things that keep getting put onto festival bills over here are very much an idealistic version of like Irish folk music that they can connect to and it, it's not too hard <laughs> to I melt people's brains because they're just like I mean I can play folk music I grew up in it but I play everything as well and my, and my own stuff mm. but to make money a lot of us would have and still do and I have no problem with those people going out there to do that coming up on Friday it's just I can't do it it makes my soul sick 
it just makes me feel and I did I played kind of back to back at all these venues in in Melbourne over the weekend and then I was out at the Elephant and Castle in Geelong and each place I just was like I can't do this like I can't get up there and do it but I would get up and just do it to get in and get out and the drunken carry-on was all in front of me the Guinness hats the plastic green like hands and and I just was like what is this? Like, what is this? Because this isn't you all sitting there connecting with your Irish culture. It's not. It's you all sitting there with an excuse to get drunk for the day. And then the media over here loves it. They love to put a picture of a bunch of Irish people who are mostly Australians dressed up in green, lying out on the concrete outside one of these pubs in the morning and splash out across the front page and say, oh, like the drunken carry-on of the Irish. They love it here. I mean, even Scott Morrison, when he was at Tui's Brewery, there was an Irish girl working there and he made a comment on national TV. Oh, of course, there's an Irish girl working in a bar. And it was like, mm, like mm. the media play into it and the stereotypes play into it. And yeah, I think the last one was like, there was a man there dressed up as a leprechaun and he like had jumped up on stage and was just acting the maggot. But then he just went around the pub sticking his face into women's boobs being like this is the luck of the Irish and I'm standing up on stage just going how is this my life like this is not culture these songs mean so much to me you know I was playing traditional Irish music on those days they've been passed down generations to me they 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 mean so much I can't so that's when I stopped and no price tag will get me to do that again and I've been offered a lot of money <laughs> and sometimes I'm like on oh, you your morals are too too strong <laughs> mm-hmm. no I love it but I can't, it hurts, it hurts my soul. And it also hurts my soul to see all these people trying to engage with who they are through that medium of alcohol, because it's not going to get to the source of any of that. And it makes me sad. Well, it's, fuck, you know, that's the, firstly, congratulations for taking that moral stance. I think it's it's really important and it, it really sends that message to maybe for people to, well, I'd never even thought about this stuff. You know, I didn't know any of this stuff, which you've just shared. So thank you for sharing it. It's all about education, isn't it? It's all about understanding why we take a stand when we do. And maybe for people listening, thinking about that and sharing this particular episode with which people with people who are thinking about celebrating St. Patrick's Day. It's it's not too dissimilar, obviously, to musicians that take a stand against playing on Australia Day. Yeah. Ash won't play on Australia Day because yeah, same. for what it stands for. And mm. same thing. This is Australians, particularly <laughs> often white Australians, getting absolutely fucking maggoted on a day when that should be one of deep sorrow and yeah, yeah. apologies. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think it's a marketing in I read 13 million pints, a billion pints of Guinness will be sold all over the world. There's someone making a lot of money off this and all the capitalistic green crap that gets sold and put into landfills at the end of this as well. It's a great marketing campaign by the likes of Guinness and and other companies. So we've been sold this, you know, like I don't want people to sit here and be like, oh, I'm a dickhead for like celebrating it. It's like, no, we've been brainwashed into this. Even Irish people in Ireland (laughs) been brainwashed into celebrating something that we don't have that much of a connection to. I mean, Patrick's not our fella, you know, like it's like he doesn't represent anything that I think is future healing and growth for Irish people, you know. 
Yeah, well, and I think going back to what you said earlier, making this choice and this decision to honour your ancestors is all about future healing. We can't change the past, but we can definitely work on future healing. And so for people listening, making that stance is that opportunity for future healing for all of our ancestors, for our Indigenous cultures, for everything that's been decimated by alcohol. And Mm. realising we have been sold a fucking whole lot of bullshit. We've been marketed something that it's just a lie. Like it's an absolute lie. It just gets me so riled up that it's my reward. It helps me relax. No, it fucking doesn't. It's, this shit is taking people out the front and center through domestic mm-hmm. violence, through cancers, through road accidents, through all sorts of ways in which suicide. Alcohol has got a lot to be responsible for and we need to stop glamorizing it. And also supporting these events and these holidays as such, which are really just an excuse to get fucked up. Yeah, it's not ritual or ceremony or Mm. it's not that. Like you're saying, it's just a glamorized version of getting drunk that, yeah, I think there's just so many more better, wholesome ways to connect in. And I'm proud to be Irish. And so for so many years, I engaged with St. Patrick's Day because it was the one day of the year that Australians wanted to talk about (laughs) being Irish, you know. And I'm so proud of that. And I'm so proud of my culture that I love to share it. I love telling the stories of it. I love the wisdoms that are in it. Our language is so beautiful. Like Gwelga is one of the most beautiful languages with so much poetry and just beauty in it. I love our literature. I love our music. I love our traditional music. I love the eclectic music coming out of Ireland in contemporary times. Like I love our films. You were up for Oscars this year. There's so much dark humor in Irish work. There's so much depth. There's so much fun. There's so much history. And we have such a wealth to draw from that to go towards a pint of Guinness. It just seems like there's so much more there. There's so Mm. much more. And so me talking about it publicly this year is also me just, I'm tired of answering messages about it. I'm tired of people asking me this. And then then I have to say, oh, I actually don't play St. Patrick's Day or venues for the past eight weeks, constantly getting, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? And I have to go back and say, listen, I don't play St. Patrick's Day. And now it's just sitting there. People can choose to engage with it or not. This podcast will be there. I don't have to answer all those things all the time. I can just actually concentrate on the sharing of the bits of my culture that I'm really, really proud and honoured. And I feel so lucky. I've been passed on so much and I get to do this for a living. Like, that's just crazy, do you know? So I want to make sure every step of that way I'm doing it in line with the healing Because like you said, like it's healing for the future generations, but I also see this as a healing back. I lost my uncle. My dad struggled for years. My grandparents and and great grandparents and all of the lines behind me get a healing every time I'm on stage singing and sharing these stories as well and choosing a path that they didn't have the tools perhaps to choose. Do you know, there's so much information now. There's so much support. People like you are out there helping people through the recovery process of this. I luckily didn't end up in a path of addiction, which required me to have massive intervention. But my uncle didn't have that opportunity. He didn't have someone like you there that could have helped. And so, yeah, I I feel privileged that I'm in a time and a place that I can offer that back. I love this way of seeing that not just about being on stage and sharing and songs and culture, perhaps every time you say no to a drink, 
that's a little bit of healing for some of your ancestors. Yes. And it's the same for every single person listening right now. Every time we say no, there's a little bit of healing has happened forwards, backwards, even fucking sideways. It, it's all mm-hmm. around. Every time we now say I've no. Got, now I've got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. So I'm glad true. I gave you some. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Anya, I absolutely fucking worship you. You're so beautiful. <laughs> I love and you. I, I think if anyone can have the opportunity of hearing your music or going to one of your shows, please do so. You also do an amazing show with our gorgeous Mandy Nolan. And actually my called- next, my next, oh yeah, the Country Witches Association with Mandy. Yeah. But my next tour actually, you know, is about these conversations. We've called amazing. Yeah, we've called it the Irish as fuck, not Irish folk tour. <laughs> and that- <laughs> And that's a direct quote from my beautiful um, sis, Jen Cloher, who when I was speaking to her about some of the stuff that I've been facing in the industry, she was like, you need to get out of some of these folk spaces. They're just like smushing you into this little tiny box of expectation of who they think you are. And she was like, your your music is so much more than that. And so Ash would face this as well. Like when they try to like just keep you in a small box of blues or folk or whatever it is, it limits the experience that you can share. And so, yeah, this tour is about breaking out of those as I head towards my next album has got all sorts of stuff on it, you know, including a hip hop track with Barker. So you'll love that. But, oh my God, amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's a oh, spoiler alert. I probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's getting out of those boxes that we've been ticked into and whether that's like, oh, you're Irish and you drink or whether that's you're Irish and we expect you to play this type of music. It's the same mentality. Yeah. So yeah, that that tour kicks off at the end of April and I'm really excited. Really oh my God, amazing. So that'll all be on your website, which I'll post in the show notes so yeah, anyone can. And if anyone wants to follow you on Instagram, it's just on your Tyrol Music, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so I'll put that in the show notes as well. So I highly recommend one of your shows. It's quite a healing. Uh, oh, just thank you. Absolutely adore you and your voice and you're a very powerful performer and I just think you're amazing and so much to share. I would love it. Here's just my little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. <laughs> you should do like a tour in Ireland where you take a whole lot of people, maybe the people in your Patreon, take everyone to Ireland and doing like oh, teaching yeah. people some history and actually yeah. learning the real history of Ireland. But we've, we're planning it, actually. You're on my... Oh, my God. Oh, there we go. We're on the same way. We're planning, we're planning a bus tour. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I, Count I'm, me I, in. Yeah, I'm very excited to bring to do that, to bring people back on a bit of a connection through to all those places and then the music and the history and there's so much there. Yeah. Oh my God. Would it be a, I don't want to put you on the spot, but would it be a dry tour? Like, would it be a, a non-alcohol? Oh, that's a great idea. Yes. I think we should do that. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. If you do keep me posted because we'll put this out through the How I Could Alcohol community. Yeah. I think that that's would a, be That's a great idea. That's a really, yeah. Okay. Let's do that. That's it. Okay. We're all going to heal. Yes. We'll heal our ancestors through touring around Ireland and saying no to Guinness. Yeah. That's so awesome. We'll have zero. I think there is a zero percent Guinness. We, we can, oh. we can, uh, we can enjoy that. There we go. That'll be I nice. haven't tried it yet, but. Yeah, probably tastes like cat's piss. I think. 
<laughs> well, so you never stood on them for well. offering it. Yeah, I don't like Guinness. I never did. It's sort yeah. of, anyway, uh, thank you so much, Anya Tyrrell, for coming on today and just sharing this amazing nugget of wisdom. Like, mm. like I said, I didn't know any of this stuff and we only know through education. So mm. but if anyone's beating themselves up about celebrating previously, don't beat yourself up. There's never any point in that. It's just that we only know what we know. And yes. when there's people like you educating us and we need the storytellers to come through and tell these stories and share and educate everyone more and more. So yeah. it's how we Thank all you. learned. Yeah. yeah. It's how I learned, you know, sitting in around the fire or sitting in circle or sitting around music. That's how everything's passed on. So, and that's the yeah. beauty of podcasts and the spaces that you hold so yeah thank you for all the work you do and helping my witch Mandy as well I love having her I love having her sober (laughs) oh my god I love her she's so awesome the the tours aren't nearly as eventful though I have to say (laughs) (laughs) amazing so good (laughs) lots more musicians that I know you've helped yeah Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I love seeing the musos just stepping forward and going, no, fuck this shit. We don't need to do it this way anymore. Yeah, Mm. it's amazing. Thank you. Can't wait to see you next show. Thank you, mate. See ya. We'll see you soon, love. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.